started out down a dirty road. Started out all alone, and the sun went down as I crossed the hill, and the town lit up, and the world got still. I'm learning to fly, boom, 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 but I ain't got wings, but a boom, 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 Lucas and Zach podcast, but a boom, 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 it's the hardest thing. Well, uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, everyone else in the world, crazy people, um, monkeys, big fan of monkeys during the podcast. Zach, why are we, pro- wait, why are we, are we pro- talking about monkeys? Oh, yeah. I'm just saying we're a pro monkeys podcast. I'm pro all animals. I'm pro monkeys. I'm pro, pro apes. I'm pro gibbons. Gibbons are like the smaller <laughs> apes. Gibbons are like <laughs> the ultimate apes. Those things are awesome. That they're cool thing. They're awesome. Gibbons rule. Zach and I are starting a new podcast where we just talk about gibbons. <laughs> Every week we talk about a different primate. Chatting like, primates. Yeah. Um, well, it's a niche. There's five million movie podcasts. Your hit pie is not a primate podcast. <laughs> I can still yeah. sing songs. <laughs> We're here for episode 28, continuation of the Plane Movies Month, talking Air Force One. Um, there are no Gibbons in Air Force One, unfortunately. If there were Gibbons, Gibbons would have rescued them from Air Force One. Should I do um, recuts of all Harrison Ford movies and replace him with Gibbons? <laughs> Given Ford. <laughs> That's the name of my second child. <laughs> Don't spoil that, Does Sarah know this that her next child will be named Given? Um, she has no choice. She has no choice. All right. Well, that's good to know. Zach Ford, let's continue on to our favorite op- opening segment, which is, of course, Last Letterbox Movie. What is your last Letterbox Movie? My last Letterbox Movie that I will keep saying slowly because I forgot what I was. Could do is do you remember what I thought I could do? Because I lost nope. my box. Um, this is great podcasting. Lockdown, <laughs> lockdown, and which is about quarantine. And this is why I have a muddled ass brain and can't remember <laughs> a movie it says to talk about five minutes later. Um, lockdown is uh, the Doug Lyman directed, Stephen Knight scripted, um, very quickly put together what during quarantine movie. Starring um, the great Anne Hathaway. No Anne Hathaway bashing on the spot. Is she great, though? Yeah, she's the great Anne Hathaway. And um, also great Trudeau either for. Um, that was definitely and, What? That was definitely pronounced correctly. Thank you. I tried real hard. Um, <laughs> once I learned, I talk about this a lot, but once I learned, um, Saoirse Ronan on, po- on a podcast said like Saoirse, like inertia, and it's, it's changed my way to pronounce everything now, not just her name. <laughs> um, anyways, this, this is a, it's a, a lockdown comedy, um, of Anne Hathaway and Trudeau either for, or a couple that has broken up right at the start of quarantine and they get quarantined together in London. Um, and, um, you know, through comp, through, you know, her frustrations with work and his frustrations with life, they decide to try and, uh, steal a diamond from a store. Um, 
and no, that's really not like the purpose of the movie because it's really just like the last half hour um but it's still kind of just like delightful and it's it's anna hathaway in her best form i think it's just like pure movie star anna hathaway just like being it's still in, it's like kind of in her devil wears prada princess diaries just being a star kind of mode and i think trudel you don't get to see him you know in that mode as much um mm-hmm. and i think he's really charming and and fun he's supposed to be like a dreary possibly suicidal character but is adding a lot more spark to that than someone could have you know downplayed and played the misery so he's definitely playing it in the the more fun mode which is fine it's sloppy like sloppy as hell and you can tell it's quickly uh put together uh but it's also just you know enjoyable and i mean there's something to be said about how it treats the crisis and maybe ignores that there's like a bigger crisis rather than just being locked in your house. Um, it has a little bit of a, a rich privilege kind of point of view on it, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, but I don't think that, you know, completely ru- makes the movie unwatchable or ruins it. It's just a little, you know, blindsided in its perspective, which happens with Hollywood movies all the time because they're rich Hollywood people. Yeah. So I haven't seen this, but I do think um, this brings us to an interesting discussion, which is that. Chiwetel Ejiofor and Anne Hathaway have really bizarre careers, if you think about it. Um, Ejiofor has done... So he has this big pop, which is 12 Years a Slave. And since 12 Years a Slave, he really hasn't had another movie where he's even in the second lead. Like, he has a lot of, like... He has that very frustrating turn in a Doctor Strange movie. You're like, why did you take all these talented people and put them in a movie that's not very good. And he's like, you know, he's got all these like small other roles. He's just such an, he's an interesting. It is Edgeo 4. I swear I read this before. I'm looking at the pronunciation of his name. I I got Trudel right. You can go on. Trudel Edgeo 4. Yeah, Edgeo 4. I think I just mispronounced the phonetics. Yeah. No, he's just, he's he's interesting. Cause like, I feel like he had this, he was, you know, he got Oscar nominated. He got all this acclaim for this performance. And it really never um, opened a path for him to have like a, a leading man career going forward. And then Hathaway's kind of been a similar thing. She has these, if you Hathaway's career always feels like she has these big highs where she gets, you know, Les Miserables or um, Devil Wars Prada or even like the intern. And then she just kind of disappears for years between them. Like she's a, she's just, she's like really, her, every one of her movies seems to go to one of the extremes. It's like, it's almost completely ignored or is really big. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's interesting. Like, I feel like she does, even like she was in Ocean's 8. And I feel like that movie, like that movie is so forgotten. I think that almost brought her back to the spotlight a little bit. Cause for everyone that's seen it, it was like about her being great in it. And like showing there could be a talent again. It was almost seen as like a comeback for her. Since yeah. they missed, but but then she'd be here. like the hustle and serenity. So yeah, it's it's just in the witches, which is atrocious. She's good in it. Oh, and but, she's in Dark Waters. I forgot she was in Dark Waters. Yeah, because because she's a because she's a nothing character. Bury her in that movie. Yeah. Um. So the last movie I watched in Letterbox was the Nora Ephron directed. Nicole Kidman, Will Ferrell starring Bewitched, Heard of it. which is interesting because this is a movie that has a lot of talented people working on it. And this movie does not work at all. Like, it, it is honestly almost impressive how 
poorly it works as a movie. Like watching this movie, I think that the people creating it thought that all these moments were charming or funny or romantic, and they just all miss. Um, there's a couple okay moments where Farrell is kind of like exactly what you'd expect Will Farrell to be in 2005. Um, Michael Caine is Nicole Kidman's dad, and I don't like him in this movie. He's being British. That's his... he's. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's fine, but like, he's such a. Not, he's also just kind of a nothing. Um, is Nicole Kidman good in this movie? No, they. Got she's a, kind of terrible. Her nose, and she looks somewhat um, like the real Samantha. I'm Doesn't she feel like uh, she's massively miscast? Like this I is not what Nora Kill Nicole Kidman is good at. I just hope she's not a great comedic actress, and they get. She's not a rom. She's not a rom. And when you have Will Ferrell, who's playing it real broad. And treating it like the brass of comedy, it's like it's a Will Ferrell comedy. He actually and kind of worked for me a little bit in the movie. But I think you would need a broader comedic actress to match with him to make it work. But they're kind of doing two different things. She's doing a little more of a grounded, or not really grounded, but she's doing like a classical performance. Like she is like from the 1960s TV show. And well, it feels like, like she's that. almost, she's trying to directly imitate the 1960s TV show. Yeah. And, and he's trying to play a broadcast. So modern and. Yeah, <laughs> this obnoxious modern actor. Um, I would say that the one thing that works as movies is the Will Ferrell, Ferrell um, parody movies. Um, I'm trying to. There's the one about like the Sherpa. Um, great joke. Uh, yeah, there's some I, good ones. <laughs> that's the only thing that works. Um, but this is, I think, by far one of the worst Nora Ephron movies. Probably her worst. It's direction. the worst. It's the worst Nora Ephron movie. I think it's yeah. quite clearly the worst Nora Ephron movie. Yeah, at least her directed because hanging up is also a disaster. I have notes in it. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think the Farrell stuff only works because Farrell gets put in a position to be exactly what Will Farrell was in 2005, which is he's kind of good at playing it a, a bit of a dick, who's mm -hmm. kind of a selfish. Like it's a, there's a little bit you you see a little bit of his other performances in the movie. But this one's inconsistent. It's like they didn't know what they wanted to do with the character because he'd be like such an extreme dick at some points, but then maybe he's supposed to be a little more lovable and charming, and yeah. it, it jumps all over the place. And I think Nicole Kidman is just really badly miscast in this film. Like she's Nicole Kidman, great actress, really talented, very good in a lot of movies. Um, not good, at, like should not have been in this. Like who should have been casted? Cast him now. It seems like if it wasn't her, it probably would have been Reese with Spirit at that time. Just Sandra like, Bullock? I don't know. There's like people that could have done this performance. Sandra Bullock could have done the performance a lot better than Nicole Kim. She's much better at that rom-com lead. Like she she just has the pedigree for it. Yeah. She has the experience doing it. Nicole Kidman is in almost every performance a dramatic actress. That's what she does. So it, it is a weird choice to try to put her in this movie. That was like a period where she was doing lighter things because that's right around Stepford Wives as well. Yeah. I also think that another thing this, that I uh, – not to ignore this. I think the script is kind of garbage. Oh, no. It's a disaster. I don't know if they want to make Bewitched, but then they don't even make it about Bewitched. And they, so they weird. make it about the making of it. It's so um, contrived. It's just also like, weird. It's so weird because, you know, Nora Ephron, famous for – really good scripts in a rom-coms like you know you go look at when harry met sally and you've got mail and Sle like they and sleepless in seattle they have really good scripts and just gonna double check to make sure 
It seems like she wanted to make like a biting satire in Hollywood, but then Hollywood told her, but we also need this Bewitched movie be made. So can you like combine it together? I mean, it, that should not be a natural combination. Satire and Bewitched. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think the, I think this is a movie that it, it, you're right. It does feel like it's two things. Like, are you making a, a jokey remake of Bewitched in which it's an actual witch? Or are you trying to mock? Like, they, I don't think they ever really figure out what they're trying to do with the movie. Yeah. It would have been better if they made Bewitched starring the 90s pop band Bewitched um, instead of <laughs> Nicole Kidman. Yeah. This, in uh, long and short of it, this movie is really bad. Like, really, really bad. And um, so watch it right now. <laughs> actually, I think this is an interesting question. She's like, this is one of the worst movies ever made by a director who is usually quite good. Yeah, okay. That I thought you were just gonna put a period. Worst no, movies I don't ever think, made. it's not one of the worst movies ever made. I think it's the worst one of the worst movies ever made. If you consider it the, the movies made only by directors, we would consider good to great. Because she I, has a number of movies that aren't great. I feel like she has a very mixed career. There's other failures in there as well. No, there is. She and has like nuts. four but mixed nuts is like more enjoyable than this. Lucky yeah, lucky numbers, but they're not good. It doesn't belay this consistency you're putting upon her that makes it seem like this came from nowhere. Oh, I'm you not can, saying you I'm can not watch saying lucky numbers and imagine she's gonna make up a witch. Sure. I think I think oh, it's just worse than lucky numbers or um Michael. Actually I like Michael. Um from Michael. Um <laughs> no, I just I, I think that I think Nora Ephron would be because she has the Two really big hit rom-coms in the '90s. I think Julie and Julia is quite good, and then she wrote Whenever It's Out. I think that from somebody who is that talented, it is kind of shocking. There's not a lot of directors who make really great movies and then like multiples of them, and then make a movie that is as bad as Bewitched. Like that, Spielberg, Spielberg does it. Spielberg has a couple really bad ones. But I almost, if you have to divide her movies in two categories of one she wrote and directed, and one she wrote and someone else directed. I think I would probably take the route and did direct batch. I think there's just some, that has something to say. Justice for Cookie is what I'm saying. Cookie's a great movie. <laughs> this like forgotten, um, hard to find one out of this. But I, I don't. There's no like out and out failures in her early writing career before she started directing. Mm-hmm. Even Hanging Up, which is a disaster, she like barely wrote it. I think they just kind of put her name. It's even more yeah. one that like her sister wrote. There, she does have a really. You're right. She does have a really rough stretch, like post "You've Got Mail" and before "Julie and Juliet." She has a pretty rough. That's not a good run of movies in a row. Like she has some rough ones. Yeah. Like she has "Lucky Numbers" and "Bewitched" back to back, which are neither are good. Yeah, "Julie and Juliet" was a comeback. Yeah, I haven't. Watched, I haven't about to watch that. I'm excited to watch it. I like that movie. Pro yeah. cooking, but I think her best movie is still "When Harry Met Sally," and she didn't direct it. There's something to say. Well, I, that's her third best, but well, you're a crazy argue. person. I like her. I like her. 90, I like her. Other <laughs> I think. I think just Hanks is an upgrade on Crystal. Mm. Mm. Um, with that being said, we are not um, doing Nora Ephron month or Tom Hanks month. Or... Yeah, I'm glad we couldn't make an episode without saying Tom Hanks's name. <laughs> <laughs> um, let us continue on to our main discussion, which is, of course. Air Force One. We are going to be discussing the ins and outs, the intricacies of the plane that the President of the United States flies on. We're going full planes month and just not talking about movies at all. And we're going to talk about planes. Yeah. Um, 
Zach Ford, will you give us I, the plot I summary? I know a lot about planes. <laughs> the, the, the plot summary of American Airlines' new aircraft, the B-17. Um, just, I, just like to, I would like to just know the history of the Air Force One plane, all the different iterations, um, maybe the different colors of upholstery. That would be nice to know. Yeah, so Herbert Hoover, um, he, he arrived in France. He's like, my arms are so tired. And they're like, don't worry, Hoover. We got something for you. It's called a plane. And he says, it's the first one, the first plane. There's an actually, it's the Air Force one. Um, that's a really bad pun there. Uh, and then here, I, I have a question. I have a question. Yeah. When you say his arms were tired, did he like row to France? Is that why his like, arms were tired? He flew all the way to France, so his arms were tired. Get it. Come on. Get, get a hold of that, was so, that was so bad. I didn't understand it. It's a classic joke. The classic joke. All right. Give us that. Yeah. Show's over. Thank you. Learning to fly. <laughs> We're actually here to talk about the Harrison Ford starring Wolfgang Peterson directed Air Force One, um, which Zach Ford will now give us the plot summary of. Um, you are, as usual, you are permitted to say plain stuff Thank rather you. than explain it. Um, Harrison Ford is, is the president of the United States America on real life at the time in the 80s. I don't know if you guys remember history, but he was president throughout all the 80s. Um, he leads, uh, or not leads, but like gives his like go ahead um, for this mission um, for us to you know intervene and um, arrest this guy from some country. Is it from Kazakhstan? I was real confused. He's from Kazakhstan, yes. Yeah, uh, Kazakhstan gets a real rough, rough. Uh, work in, in movies these days. Um, it's also it's also, a, it's also weird because they do Kazakhstan and then sort of act for the rest of the movie like like, Kazakhstan, like Kazakhstan was part of Russia at some point. That's why I was really confused and and so so a lot of that didn't make sense. So I'm just gonna say from one country and and they did it for this other country and then they arrest him into that country and keep yep. him in jail. Um, Harrison Ford goes onto a plane because he's the president and, and they need to take him places. And so uh, Gary Oldman is, plays a Russian man and they, they disguise themselves as a Russian film crew. Um, maybe he's Kazakhstanian uh, or Kazakhstanian. Um, either way, he says he's Russian. That's how they get him on the, to the plane. It's always the Russians, guys. And um, Turns out they're there to hijack it with the help of a secret service man um, to, you know, take it hostage, try to um, convince the U.S. government to convince whatever country is holding their, like, rebel leader um, free. Mm -hmm. And um, Harrison Ford is, like, hiding along the, like, shadows of the plane and go, guess what? President's still here. They thought he was gone in an escape pod. He, like, punches people. Um, uh, he does like president action moves. It's 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 like Bruce Willis from Die Hard became president. That's what he's doing up on this plane. It is Die Hard on a plane. Um, you know they shoot some people, they shoot some valuable people um, because they weren't getting what they want. Uh, Harrison Ford somehow, you know, kills most of the guys except for the Secret Service man to the last second when they have to like propelled down from one plane to another. I'm skipping the fucking plane battle where a guy says, I'm going in! Like he was jumping into the pool, but really what he was doing is throwing his whole plane in front of a missile. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a crazy moment. Crazy we'll talk about that more. After this plane battle, as like 
um, Russian or whatever country's planes are trying to yeah, shoot them down. Um, they get rescued by a you know U.S. planes because the Air Force One is running out of gas. So like, let's just abandon this shit. Um, so they have to um, like um, repel. That's not repelling. There's a different word for it. Repelling to go down, uh, like zip line. It's like a zip line. Um, yeah. from one, one plane to the other. Um, and just as, you know, they're about to get free, Secret Service man is like, guess what, Harrison Ford, I'm still here. And they just kind of like tug of war over the zip line. <laughs> and so um, he's able to like break free and then the guy crashes into the water on the plane. I feel like you could survive that. Um, they're really pretty low. Also, he should just jumped out. Like he was close and he could just jumped into the water. It was not going too fast. It's about it's about. Um, anyways, they live happily forever after Harrison Ford, Ford serves eight terms, breaks breaks the laws, um, just because we need a our, our protector in office as Harrison yeah. Ford. The end. Yeah. I, to correct something I said earlier, I looked at this up. So Kazakhstan was the last part of the Soviet Union to declare independence. Okay, so in nineteen ninety one. Although it's still kind of weird that they want to rejoin. There's a weird part of this movie that doesn't. I, let's let's jump into this. This is part of the the discussion I want to bring up, which is that this movie has these weird pseudo Soviet politics that you see in action movies, where it doesn't really make a lot of sense. So the Gary Oldman character is attempting to rescue. What are you laughing at? <laughs> I just looked at the notes for the first time and used right a female VP like it's not allowed. <laughs> like how that would never happen. <laughs> but this is like the weird Soviet era politics that you come to see in these movies where it's kind of nonsensical. So at the beginning of the movie, Russia and the US collaborate to capture the dictator Radic of Kazakhstan. Why? the two countries are invading a tiny country with no resources like Kazakhstan is beyond me. Like Kazakhstan doesn't have anything. This is, nah. they're not a country that is particularly um, See, dangerous. They just, get, they just get picked on because like nobody really is aware of where they are. So I just think, I just think they, they're, they're a country that they're a country that's real, but sounds like they're fake. So that's why they get put in a lot of movies. Um, yeah. I just then, like, we learned a lesson. There's nothing wrong with making fake, fake, fake nations. Really we don't need to throw people under the bus. I don't know how this hasn't ruined diplomacy. It's really, Kazakhstan's like, you know what? You made us look bad in fucking Air Force One. <laughs> Real war is about to happen. Yeah. You taught um, us how to take over your, your president. So then Gary Oldman tries to recapture Radic, the dictator of Kazakhstan who was just attacked by Russia, but also talks about rebuilding Mother Russia as yeah. if capturing the dictator of Kazakhstan or releasing the dictator of Kazakhstan would somehow rebuild the Soviet Union? No, I guess so. He said also, he was like a rebel, rebel, right? Like he was in for what the what Russia was doing. But he's he the dictator of Kazakhstan. He's a dictator of a different nation. I think he just liked 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 his vibe. I, was, I, just, I just think this, this movie has non it has nonsensical politics. Like if I this have, movie this movie to make that. sense Radic would need to be the, some kind of opposition person in Russia who would take over Russia and then rebuild Mother Russia. I don't know how saving – I don't like there's also weird um, insinuations that Radic is somehow going to rebuild the Soviet Union. I don't know how the guy who's the dictator of Kazakhstan is going to rebuild – like it's – this is like this is like the class. It's kind of classic '90s action movie 
politics in it, it is nonsensical. And what it sets up is U.S. versus Russia because that's what they want to do. But it tries, I think, real hard to think it's saying something. and Because I feel like they don't need any of that. They can make it so much simpler because it doesn't matter. But they make it so complex because I think they're trying to be smarter than they are. Radek should have just been a rebel Russian general who had, like, power among the military. And that's why he was a threat to the Russian government. Constantly bring up Crimson Tide. We're gonna like be talking about Fox and Hand. I'm still gonna compare it to Crimson Tide. Um, Crimson- actually, that's a movie where the politics makes sense. What they're directly doing. One day they give you all the information you need right at the beginning through you know film footage, but it's also just like like interesting and real enough while still being very simple. It's just like there's a you know a rebel leader and Russia, um, you know, trying to cause shit, and that's like all you need to know. Right. In this movie, it just makes no sense. Why is Kazakhstan involved? It's just such a weird... Um... And there's a middleman country, too. I don't remember that. That like That's who is actually holding a prisoner, and that just makes it more complicated. No, no. Russia's holding him. Russia's, Russia's holding him. That's why he has to call the Russian leader. Why is Other Russia people? our friends in this? Have we not learned anything, guys? Russia's not our that's the weird. That's the Well, that's the weird thing, is because Russia is simultaneously set up as our ally and our enemy in this movie in a what something that makes no sense why is it what this movie really should be is two factions in russia and then we're collaborating with germany or something like somebody that makes sense for us we're collaborating with france like this movie could have been so much clearer from a political perspective if they had just like cleaned that part of the film and i need to be that global could it just be like an angry crazy american that breaks in I really don't think they need to capture Radic at all. You could have just you could have just had Air Force One. Yeah. It is. It, it does feel like they 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 overcomplicated their own story. Yeah. And it's not like a huge critique of the movie, but it is something that like leaves you scratching your head. Like Wolfgang Peterson. I feel like he he wants to think he's making these big epics when he's really just making action pro movies. But he thinks there's so much. He thinks he's smarter than the movies he makes is. Maybe I haven't seen a ton of him. His other stuff seems a little bit. Um, smaller like the perfect storm and troy and stuff seem they're a little bit more straightforward I mean, outbreaks like a global pandemic crisis movie true movie. i've never seen outbreak i just wanted to talk about this beginning i do think that the politics in this movie are like nonsensical action movie politics and weirdly said and you made the point now that i had really so that it's like it sets up russia as your ally and your enemy which is which is weird which is very weird um Let's talk about something else that I think is really important. And another big critique of the film. Let's start with our big critiques. Um, there are some scenes outside of the planes. And you get plane CGI. And it's atrociously bad. It's really bad. I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, I watched a 90s action movie. And it didn't bother me that much. It's, all, it's bad. I mean, like, it's bad in Titanic. It's bad. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's simultaneously, I think, a large, obvious flaw in the movie. But it also doesn't really impact your enjoyment of the movie it's yeah, just it's something you kind of it's something you have to touch on and be like there are scenes outside this movie where there are planes and they have that shiny plastic look that you see with yeah. bad cgi from the 90s i think the time i noticed it the most is as air force one is about to crash into the water and the like secret service man is, is like hanging out sad and lonely in the in the doorway uh it just looks like he's just kind of like floating on a cartoon and i think it, i noticed it every time they had the fighter jets show up and it looks yeah. like a video game for a couple seconds, and you're like, this looks really bad. Well, that um, is like a video game, so that makes sense. But it's also 
Basically, basically. That doesn't seem real funny. <laughs> um, we need to talk about Harrison Ford. We can't. Yes, Harrison Ford is the reason this movie works. Yeah. Um, one, believable president. I think other than him, like, oh, yeah. knocking the shit out of people is not believable. But as far as. They even um, try to, they try to set it up, though. They try to tell you he was a, a fighter pilot in Vietnam. They try to give you some information to. Um, he's not just like a bureaucrat who randomly started punching people. They try to give you at least the the small semblance of reality of like okay he, he has some training okay this kind of makes sense like explain enough don't overthink it just enough for us yeah. to buy it. yeah yeah. Uh, yeah but he has the look for sure the demeanor um the the idealism that matches the, the movie version of what a president should be mm -hmm. i think um he can emote pretty well um yeah. like the, the nobility in a way or the honor so there's this idea in political science called um, it's called like the Superman idea, the Superman concept, the idea that what Americans want from their president in like a, a theoretical laboratory based poli sci sense is the person who is the best of us. That's like the Superman. And in some ways, Ford really kind of he kind that's of lives the perfect, he's the perfect American male in this movie. He has like the nice family. He likes football. He's like good looking, but not like. He's not like a pretty boy. Like he has kind of all these, like he's kind of the perfect combination of all these different traits. Like he's smart, but he's not too smart. He's, what? I hate football used as a trope of like, look at this guy. Americans like, love football. <laughs> love it's football. Everything. But it's such a perfect, uh, but it's such a perfect idea of like, what would be the perfect American? What would be a really popular American president? Of course he gets out of the big boring meeting and he wants to find out the footballs. Like that's just kind of like a good um, way to tie the character to like classic American pastime enjoyment no i think you should have got out of the mean and be like what did roger ebert say about titanic being released <laughs> that would have been very weird um he would not have won the, he would not have won the presidency if that was yes um yeah i mean another thing i was talking about i was thinking about when i was watching this movie um and i wrote my review of it is harrison ford is like one of the all-time guys who can take a punch in movies i think this is something we actually like as an audience we really like about him is that he can he gets into these fights but he's not the best fighter. He's just tough. He's grindy. He's durable. He keeps going. Like he has some skills. He's not completely without skill. But he's also not throwing some crazy kicks. He's not knocking people out with one shot. Like he he's a he's like he's got that like um like American toughness. He's like he takes a punch and he gives one. He keeps fighting and that's like punches seem like pretty super strength. Like those are some pretty intense hawk fisted punches that he's given in this movie. So I think oh, yeah. some, some exaggerated idea of his abilities. Maybe, but this is not like he's not he, he's not like throwing spinning heel kicks and you know some kind of crazy techniques. Just, I think that's a better movie. I don't know. I think this is just like the classic Harrison Ford. He does this in Indiana Jones where he gets into these fights and he kind of just wins them off pure like toughness and grit. Like he just won't give up. And I think that's kind of like it's a really good trait to tie to your president in this movie is like the president is not the best. He's just the guy who won't give up. He won't surrender to our enemies. He just keeps fighting even if yeah. he's get, even if he's taking, you know, even he's taking punches like he just keeps fighting. In part of that, like, classic gruff side that Harrison Ford, like, he gets a hard punch and it's like, oh, let's keep going and, like, fight through it. I think it's, yeah, it's Harrison Ford is the only person who was a grumpy old man when he was in his 20s. And he's just kept that going. And he, but it's, like, the most endearing 20 grumpy old guy. Yeah, he was just preparing to be president. That's why he was, he, like, could have been president as a 28-year-old because he still had that kind of gray 
you know, Silver Fox gruffness, but then he finally aged into it in 97 for Air Force One. Perfect timing for his career. Yeah, he's really he's really good in this movie. Probably the best best thing about it. Yeah, I, and he also just gets the tone, which is very important. I think yeah. he can he can combine the like serious, um, you know, presidential, uh, global, um, political crisis aspects of it, while also be like, I'm also like fucking diehard and I'm gonna punch people. Yeah, and he he can do the serious with the with the fun, kick ass, dumb action. Well, it's like the perfect like. He's he's done this his entire career is that he is kind of he is sort of an action star, but he's a much better actor than most of the action stars of, of his age. Where it kind of um, grounds it kind of keeps it fun. Yeah. Like if you think about it in context, the Indiana Jones movies are sort of action movies, but he's also an archaeologist wearing like glasses and a suit. Yeah. So like there's like this kind of this, you know, in an era where you know the action stars are wearing no shirts and have massive biceps that are like huge monsters, Indiana Jones and, you know, Han Solo and all his characters. He's always kind of pulled it off by being this action guy. But also then he goes and he does like witness and he does like really good dramatic performances on the side. So I think that's kind of like this movie is the perfect combination of he can do the action scenes, but he also is it. He never seems to, there's never gets that moment where it's like, Oh, he doesn't care about the fact that his family is in prison and like, if this plane goes down, that would be really bad. Like he has just, he's good at modulating those two things. Yeah. I mean, there's few other action stars that would be believable as a president because they're just so um, into the macho mode. And like, imagine, is there... like if Bruce Willis was in this role, you can't buy it. I don't think you Yeah. Because do you it. don't think Bruce Willis is reliable. You don't think Bruce Willis have... is competent. He has you don't, you have don't... the like bravura that Harrison Ford can carry. Yeah. Well, Harrison Ford also has that, like, he's always had that intelligence to him. He plays like, you always think, Oh, this guy's smart. Even though he doesn't have to do like Indiana Jones and other movies, he's always like he always seems smart while also being kind of rugged, in a way that like Bruce Willis doesn't seem like the smartest guy in movies. Like he's he, he thinks he could do it. Stallone, you know, Stallone's like that should have been me, and that would have been a disaster. Stallone would have been a disaster. Um, Schwarzenegger would have been a disaster. Um, is there any other action? Star- say Schwarzenegger, the one who's closest to actually being the president, he could never be president. And just saying the closest. He still has yeah. been the closest. Yeah, um, is there any other action star at this period that could do that? Um, I'm not as well versed. Um, do we count Nick Cage as an action star? Sure. Could I don't he think do he... this? With no. He, he has no sense of grounding, but I think in the ni- 90s, like he could have still brought something to it. I think Nick Cage, is, his career is, the 1990s is controlled craziness. And yeah. 2000s on is the craziness is just out there and he doesn't control it anymore. Yeah. I think it would be a different movie, but work in its own right. But it would be much more like a face off and almost laughable, which Air Force One's half laughable um, in a fun way. But I think it would go full of that vibe. But I think it'd still work. It'd just be a different movie. I guess Denzel Washington, maybe. But I don't know if he was an action star at this point. Yeah. The only other actors I can think of from the 90s who could have done this. Are people who only became action stars in the late 20, 2000s, yeah. early 2000s. Liam Neeson, Denzel Washington, people like that who became action stars years later. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's see. Oh, you made fun of me for the female VP. I just thought it was funny watching this movie that um, we are watching a movie where there's a yeah, female VP. And in 1997, it's like there's never been a female VP. There wasn't even really the concept of a female VP Why at this point. Three more years. And then. 
we're sit here in 2021 and we have a female VP and, you know, we had an option of a female VP in 2008. So like, it's just funny how, um, I think they put that in there because it makes your movie stand out a little bit that you have a female VP. And now that is, um, I guess it's, it's less of a novelty, but also kind of, kind of a little bit depressing. It takes you, takes you back for a second. You're like, and go, this movie is 24 years ago. And, um, it took us till now to have a female VP. Well, kind of yeah. a little sad uh, state on we our for us a female president, a notable one at least. Maybe there's one that I don't, don't forget exists, but they. This is when Hollywood acts like they're progressive. Like we imagine the world with a female VP, but they can never go too far to give you a female president. Well, even now, like you get like long shot, and it's like they kind of keep right. they keep her in the in the in the Hillary Clinton role for a yeah. lot of that movie. Um, it's like there's still defined roles in how far those women can be. But um, Glenn Close is really good, I think. Yeah, I think she's quite good. She's carrying, you know, the dramatic moments in, in that whole, the whole, you know, political crisis part is carried by her while Harrison Ford gets to deal with the action aspects. But she's there saying in, um, like, not the Oval Office, but whatever, like... Um, She's in some command center in the White House. Yeah, some kind of command center in the White House um, to, to, you know, negotiate with, you know, the other countries and negotiate with the other cabinet members, too. And, and so playing the whole, you know, political crisis, um, I think she, you know, has the dramatic chops. We know Glenn Close does, but um, she's able to maintain a lot of the tension um, that they're feeling within those offices. So I think she carries it. Yeah. And you got some, like, good, that's like a, it's actually a really good, fun, um, white house discussion scenes cool discussion of like the 25th amendment and like how to use it because it is um i do appreciate that they take a, a moment in this film and it's not like not a lot of it because obviously the focus is on the action movie components with ford but like to take a second and be like yeah this is unprecedented in american history we don't actually have a set plan to deal with what happens if mm-hmm. air force one gets taken and they tried to get Harrison Ford off in the pod because that's protocol is you get the president away because you don't want somebody holding the president. But in this movie, Harrison Ford um, ignores that and keeps fighting. And, you know, it, I think it is, it's fun that they had to even have the moment of discussion. I like Philip Baker Hall, who is always great as like one of the cabinet members and Tom Everett is there. And there's some other people who are, you know, debating um, like, you know, oh, we can sign this and then you can have power to do this. And like, who has power now? And like, that's, I don't know, that's kind of like, it's fun seeing some of the inner workings of the White House when this is happening. Um, Cause you know that in a, in a real scenario, if this ever happened, like, that would be a really big question is like, how do we handle this? Who is yeah. in charge? Who has the powers? Like, it's easy to change the nuclear codes, but who has the power? And like, you know, it's kind of dangerous if the president is not there and you have five different people sitting in the white house room having a discussion all thinking they get final say like that's kind of a problem you need to have one person who has final say is this the premier movie about the chain of command like is there any movie that that handles as in depth on why the chain of command like matters and um plays into the plot because i i i did find that unique that is where i think thematically it had its, its greatest strength i do was always like Concerned and not trustworthy of De- uh, the great Dean Stockwell, um, mm-hmm. who I believe was the um, Secretary of State. No, he's the defense, wasn't Yeah, it's defense secretary. Um, to where it, it didn't seem like his uh, priorities were. Um, he was a little slimy. You almost expected him to come out and be like, oh, he's actually working with the. 
Yeah, it seems like his his prayers are more about how he can gain power rather than any kind of you know trying to solve the crisis, uh, to where they never really deliver on that. So it always yep. seems like they set that character up a little weird and yeah, a little too a little too slimy and um, a little too like strategic and cunning. Um, rather than trying to it just seemed like, hey, Glenn Close, like I'm actually in charge here. You can't say what you're saying. He cared a lot about his power and what he yeah. was able to do rather than solving the crisis. I think if your question about chain of command, the other ones I can think of are um, the second G.I. Joe film weirdly deals with it because they do some body swapping. Um, I believe a, um, Angel has fallen. The third in the Gerard Butler movie has some talk of the chain of command i believe also white house down has some because um this uh, uh movie obama ends up with channing tatum okay. in a hallway so my answer is the premiere movie about yes, I, would, this, I think air force one is probably the first be more seriously than they are those movies yes and i also think it's just a much bigger movie and much better respected than those other ones well white house down is pretty fun but i, I hey i'm a fan of white house down white house down is fun <laughs> I think I think you and me are both stands of the wet house down over Olympus's fallen movement. I never watched Olympus's fallen because I Olympus know it's fallen is not as fun for me. Not as fun. Um, I guess we've kind of talked about this, but I was I, I'm always struck by movies like this. Wolfgang Peterson makes like he makes like man movies. Yeah, man movies like never in story, pure man. But like a perfect storm and like that's such a Fucking fuzzy dragon dog. Pure man movie, Wolfgang Pearson. <laughs> that's just funny. He just like, I've never seen Daz Boot. That just seems like such a guy movie. Yeah, it's like yeah. three and a half hours of German dudes in a submarine. He's um, a dad movie director. He really <laughs> is. This is also such a dad movie because it's like Harrison Ford and Gary Oldman in like an action movie on a plane. Like that seems very guy movie-ish. Yeah, um, but same, yeah, as you said, with Das Boot. I mean, even Perfect Storm in a way, just because... Um, Such a dude movie. It's a bunch know, of dudes on a boat. out in the ocean in a boat battling, you know, nature's best. A nor'easter. Um, yeah. Um, I think he's really into, um, you know, the strength of men and what they can overcome. The yes, power and then Troy is about men, um, although it's a little bit gayer than some of the other ones uh, in the run. Yeah. He's, he's just he's really into masculinity and the powers of masculinity. So it's interesting. We've done a bunch of Tony Scott movies and then uh, Wolfgang Peterson. Like <laughs> it's like man movies. Because even I think his view and what all men should be is you know tough and you know not just protectors and authority and words, but protectors in physical form as well. That they should be able to enact aggression and violence because that's the whole perspective of this idea of what president is. Yeah, it is an interesting idea about this movie that like. I don't know if Wolfgang Peterson was trying to make a commentary on the president um, or he was trying to make an action movie, but I do think this kind of reads as like um, maybe the president should be more capable of doing things themselves rather than relying on other people to do stuff for them. Like the idea of this movie is like um, maybe the president should be, be able to man up and fight back for himself rather than making the secret service or making the soldiers do it or making somebody else do it. Like this movie is about the president taking over and saving himself rather than relying on others. Yeah. It's truly like the president needs to be the best of the best in all possible concepts of what that means, including yeah. best of like physical survival. Even they all like see him as that. Cause even though they don't know them playing, they're like our only chance is the president. Now they like, no, he's going to come and punch some fucking skulls. It's interesting. <laughs> They're like, wow, I don't know what they think he's going to do, that they think he's 
their only chance of survival, but it seemed like that's what it was. It's like no one else can handle it but him because he is the best of the best. Well, everybody um, else is captured. He's like he's the only one there. Yeah. It's interesting. It's the Bill. This is the Bill Clinton era. This is this is a Bill Clinton era movie. Yeah, they definitely just Wolfgang Peterson thinks Bill Clinton is a pansy, and that's what this movie is about. I think it is a hard term. It is. Way. Sorry, I, I, he thinks I, he's a wuss. He thinks he's a wuss. I think that also might be a derogatory term. As well. I think it's <laughs> less, I think it's less he's a coward. The coward. Um, <laughs> it is interesting though, because like Bill Clinton's an interesting guy in comparison to a lot of the presidents we've had over time. To be like this person can't handle. So Bill Clinton is relatively young and kind of a big dude, versus like he's not certainly not the most frail president we've ever had as a commander in chief, especially not in recent years. Yeah. Um, do you think that we should um, have higher physical requirements for our presidents? Should they be able to um, – should we have them go through fighting contests during debates? Like after they debate, they, they have to box each other. I'm not against this. I do actually think there is – I do think there is a – I think there is a debate after recent elections of um, – Yeah, in, 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 a, in a country – well, not even just physical health, but physical health as it relates to mental health and yeah. um, and mental um, acuity and dexterity and ability. And just be like, maybe we as a country that prides ourselves in the best should not elect the elderly to yeah. lead us, considering we know based on science that from a cognitive perspective, those are not the most cognitively their people like they have a lot of maybe i'm not saying we should go out and get 25 year olds in their you know cognitive prime but i'm saying there probably needs to be a better balancing of experience and then cognitive um ability i think we should not want our presence to be at age where in any other profession of like it's time to retire now it, <laughs> it is a weird we've had a lot of retirees um, um, do you think that if they did a physical um, test that we, Kamala would be our president now? Like she's the only one that would pass? Or no, P if they Cory, Cory Booker would have Cory Booker would be president or would have uh, been the nominee for the Democratic Party if you made it a physical test. He's a former football player. I oh, yeah. Like at Stanford, he played at football at Stanford. He's quite good. Although I think um, I don't know. Joe Biden, Joe Biden seems in pretty good shape for a guy in his seventies. I'll give him credit for. It. man can bike i've seen him bike he looks pretty good as a biker he looks pretty good as a runner yeah actually i think this is really brings up an important discussion which is we should just elect major biden as the president and we should have a dog president because that would be awesome no this is like <laughs> i found this out on a thing i was doing my kids there's like a dog mayor in some fucking town in florida or something there is a dog mayor somewhere yeah it's a terrible yeah, idea it, it, yeah you just said dog president should that well, he'd have a great cabinet around him. Should Airbud went straight from basketball to being president? No, because the dog could lean on Janet Yellen and Austin for you know help when he needed it. Just be a cool figurehead, like the okay. queen. Make it a queen, but not doesn't have to be the president. I think president should just be the queen at this point. Let's just <laughs> well then okay, but like then you go to Europe and it's like well they just have a prime minister, which is basically the president, so it's not that much different. Yeah. Um, back to, but yes, yes, there is questions. I think this movie, I don't think Wolfgang Peterson is actually saying anything. I do think this movie, I don't think he means it. not saying anything intentionally, but he definitely thinks that the ideal male that also could be president should be able to kick ass. Like the president should be a fighter. I think it's his message from this movie. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, let's talk about the chaos of the plane takeover. This is something you wanted to bring up. It is, I'm, I'm going to see if you can get it is really hard to track for a little bit there. I had to rewind and watch it again to try to figure out where everything was happening. I agree, but I think it is effective. No, I think it does work. I think it I think works it from a mood perspective. I think I was trying to track it as a, as like a viewer who wanted to talk, to talk about it in a podcast. Yeah. But I think from a mood perspective, I think it works because it <laughs> throws you under the sun and you think it's all safe and then anarchy take, uh, erupts. Yeah, I think it keeps it, I don't want to say realistic, like you're afraid of plane hostage situation, but it kind of puts you in the perspective of um, the the passengers on the plane of like just shit's happening. You don't fully understand it. Like they're not fully aware of what's going on. And we even as viewers like aren't fully aware. We see mm -hmm. this like Secret Service um, like spy guy kind of shoot all the other Secret Service men. So you, you I had to rewatch that. that I didn't realize what I didn't realize he was a Secret wow. Service guy. I thought there was just some random person until I watched it again. Um. This is something I think about a lot, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, but uh, he, you, so you understand that like violence is taking over, but where everyone else is coming from and, and who's safe, who's not safe, is all left up in this cloud of confusion. And that would be the same if you're a passenger. You have that all uncertainty. Like, do I need to be scared? Do I know what's happening? And, and, and I think the chaos, it, it creates a lot of tension, creates a lot, and a level of excitement. And I think I get more out of that than watching you know, fist punch punch. That's more clear, I think, because tonally it adds as an aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have a, this actually brings another question up. Why did that Secret Service agent help the Kazakhstani people? They never, they never explain. They it. never get because even at the end he says, "All just to protect the next president." Yeah, like Maybe he's what? Up. But I do think about often, like how have we not like. It seems so easy that a Secret Service man can just be like a spy or turn around easily. I, I just, they like are standing right next to the person, they're willing to sacrifice their yeah. life. It seems so easy. And I think about this all the time. Every I time that, I see a Secret Service man next to someone, I'm like, I don't trust you. I don't trust you one fucking bit. I think that, <laughs> I think the difference is too much access. Under the amount of like oversight and suspicion they are constantly under. Probably makes it really hard for them to pull it off. Like usually, like parts of what Homeland is. Like he was a Secret Service person in Homeland that was trying to kill the president, but he was still like brought so close to the president as a as a military member that was. I do know that when they when Biden was being inaugurated, there was some discussion about how they had to reassign people who worked for Trump because they were concerned about their politics being too closely aligned with Trump to make them proper protectors for Biden. So they had to call. They had to like reassign people who'd worked for to have protected Biden when he was vice president back to the main team for his presidency because they were they trusted them to protect him in a way that they didn't trust people who had protected Trump. I'm just saying I'm glad I watched Air Force One after inauguration because I was already freaked out at inauguration that some shit was gonna go down <laughs> any of the Secret Service people. Yeah. This is also like I don't want to um, place politics amongst people in which is the Secret Service or within the military, but I think there is a a trend that that goes towards more conservative ideas. There's a clear right leaning bent with right leaning bent to yeah. any kind of yeah service and um, that. So it made me a little nervous. So Air Force One hit hit upon my <laughs> overthinking um, paranoid brain. Well, it, it is scary because. In this movie, you know, the president is incredibly well protected at all times. And it only took six people and one defect. Like it took seven people to basically take over the plane. You know, like that's kind of a scary concept of a movie 
like that few like you know it's in some ways it's way scarier in a movie when a small number of people can cause havoc like this than it would be if it was an entire army of something doing this yeah but to go back to the lack of explanation of the character because he is in a way the like most important villain like more important to gary oldman as far as the pot mechanics yeah. um like he's the reason the whole um takeover works because of his inside job and he's also the last one on the plane that's like the the like elephant in the room they're like is anybody gonna bring up that like even though gary oldman's been dead for 15 minutes we know this guy is still hanging in the shadows and lingering so he he, he is kind of the lingering large villain yeah. i think for most of the movie um but they don't really think of him that way or care about him even though they give him such an important role to play in the plot yeah, they, they, he just kind of, he's almost like he's a plot device as a character. Yeah, like he his says only purpose, five lines. His only purpose is to shoot his own aides, the people he works with, so he can help the terrorists break out, and then at the end try to kill Harrison Ford. And that's kind of his only word, which is a good time to talk about Gary Oldman. Kind of a mm -hmm. classic Gary Oldman villain performance here. Loud, kind of, loud, oh. loud, shouty accent, kind of crazy. Um, very, in some ways, very similar to Revolta in Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. Yeah. Um, Except Gary Oldman is not loud, like you say. I reimagined him as loud. He shouts maybe a couple times this movie, but I find him so loud in his quietness sometimes. Oh, he's, he's, Even he's, he's being quiet and talking like this with a straight face, it still just seems so loud in personality. Like, you just know he can explode. It's, a, it's just so... Um, yeah. Um, Blank it on the word I'm trying to come up with. He has a level of conviction that a lot of characters don't. He firmly believes what he's doing is right and the only option for him to do, which is why he is doing something as insane as trying to take the plane and force the U.S. president to release um, his leader. Yeah. But Gary Old Mannered was the word I was looking for. He's just such a mannered actor. He just has yeah. his, like... Um, quirks in a way and his quirk often is the explosiveness that he can be really quiet that you just go to like a one word shout and i think the 90s was like that's the guy we need we need him shouting in every action and sci-fi movie for you know the seven year span um between the true romance and the professional and fifth element and that just was his his thing yeah his work. and then he kind of like stopped doing that and it only occasionally does villain performances anymore really and they bring him back as trying to be like this leading man now this like historical figure yeah and even like um like a kind of reassuring older figure to younger characters at times and stuff yeah but i think that like I, I, he has such a mannered quietness to him and i think that's why he really doesn't tinker taylor soldier spy like it's mm -hmm. it's not, not what you would call a, like a boring quiet performance it's like he barely says anything but somehow is still like leaving such a big mark he's a very engaging screen presence he just yeah. he's one of those people you kind of just are willing to watch on screen um whether he is doing something really interesting and big or like kind of smaller and quieter. Like he's just one of those people you want to watch. Yeah. Um, Zach, do you have any final thoughts on? Yeah, I want, tell you, I want to tell you a story. Yeah, go ahead. So, tell me a story. So, so uh, like three years ago, everybody likes hearing about dreams. So I'm going to talk about a dream because I realized when watching Air Force One, because I've never seen it before, I was like, this is what I fucking dreamed like three years ago. So I, <laughs> I dreamed I was not the president because I have, um, a sidekick complex as a younger brother. Um, so I was the vice president in my own dream. 
Um, and Sarah was my, my wife, um, and she um, was canoodling with a terrorist from some other country. Wow. Yeah. And she teamed <laughs> up with him and got him to, like, black out the White House. And in my dream, I was like, there's no one that can handle this but me. And so I was like a <laughs> vice president. I was, like, going around and punching people and taking names. And I had, like, a cool action line, like, with a gun to someone's face to, like, reveal what, figure out what was happening. And I was like, this would be a great movie. And then I realized it don't exist. I dreamed Air Force One, but with the vice president. I think that the importance of this story is that in your dream, Sarah is a traitor. <laughs> and I'm the vice president. I can't even be the president. And she's a traitor. I, it's probably what she's doing in real life. She's just waiting for me to achieve. Your life, your life in dreams is like not the, the best. <laughs> you're married to a traitor and you're the vice president. I told Sarah this one the other, this was like three nights ago. I had a dream that I found out she had a second husband all along. And I was like, yeah, we'll make it work. And that was like dream. <laughs> Dude, you're such like a you're such, such a younger brother. That's amazing. Um, do you have any final thoughts besides your dream on Air Force One? That's all I got. I've been saving that up for the whole show. All right. I mean, I think my final thoughts is this is like a fun movie. It's not brilliant. It definitely has some of the flaws like we talked about. But Harrison Ford is really engaging. And who doesn't want to watch a Harrison Ford movie? Um, at some point, you can't watch Star Wars and Indiana Jones again. And you should watch Air Force One. Yeah. And yeah. vote for a dog for president. Vote for a dog for president. Major Biden for president. Um, with that being said, uh, we will come back next week. We will continue playing movies, and we will talk about the Liam Neeson joint nonstop, which is, interestingly enough, also about – we're having some, like, our plane movies have not been uh, – we're going to hit some some unfun ones in a row, some uh, – some uh, scary stuff on a plane movies. So we get to our greatest hero, Sully. <laughs> 155 souls. That was coming later this month. Um, with that being and said, what are you going to be doing on a plane other than crashing or taking a hostage? Yeah, I mean, I guess they couldn't really be like the fun version. There's not like the cross country plane trip. I don't think that movie's been made. Sure be mad we didn't do airplane. So that would have been the obvious. Not airplane is not interesting to talk about. I'm just going to say it. All right. We'll see you next week. Nonstop. Zach Ford. Hit it. What well, the good old days may not return, and the rocks might melt, and the sea may burn. I'm learning to fly. Now this is when you go, learning to fly. Okay. But I ain't got wings. Learning to fly. Coming down. Oh, shit. No. Lucas and Zach podcast. Coming down. Learning to fly. <laughs> the hardest thing. <laughs> All right. That was interesting.